0: It's good to see you all here this morning. I want to welcome you to this time. We're glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we're really grateful that you're here as well and, and uh, participating uh, with us in that form or fashion. We're in the second week of a new series, Love uh, Thy Neighbor. And uh, last week, in, in an effort to try and put some feet to what we're doing as good neighbors, I, I kind of was dreaming out loud, talk a little bit about the need that had come up with, uh, with CASA. And it was my understanding about 38 people inquired, left their names uh, here last Sunday after the service was over. And then I heard that on Monday there were about 50 calls that were made uh, to to the CASA folks uh, inquiring. Now, I don't know that all those were from Sherwood Oaks, but I know a lot of them were. And so I, I would just want to say thank you for, for doing that. But the, the goal is not yet done there's still a great need out there so whether it's being a a casa or whether it is being one of the child visit monitors uh, which is kind of a step below that but helping out with the problem um, I would love it I would love it if Sherwood Oaks just said we took that challenge and changed our neighborhoods as a result and and I hope through this series that we'll be able to give you some other challenges along the way of what can I do to be a really good neighbor so just keep thinking about those things. I'd be surprised if many of you didn't see this brief obituary from uh, Minnesota online this past week, but it certainly struck a chord with me. Kathleen Demlow's obit tells a tragic story. It begins with the normal information about birthplace and dates, but it takes an abrupt and anguishing turn about halfway through the obituary. This is what we read in that obituary. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. In a mere 32 words, a tragic story unfolds that has no happy ending. There is far more to read between the lines than what is printed in the lines. Bitterness, anger, and oh, so much hurt cascade from every cynical word of print. I have no idea who Kathleen Dimlow was, but from a handful of words, I've drawn some pretty strong conclusions about her character. I can only hope that someone saw her as a potential one life in her area and shared with her the hope of Christ. And I can only pray that someone will be a one life to her hurting and bitter children who are now adults, but carrying this burden with them as they go throughout life. We don't often talk about the obituaries in scripture, but there are a few. They're not lengthy, but they do give us insights into the way some people lived. And and, and we're gonna read about a lady today who's a total, total contrast to the lady in Minnesota. And her story is a beautiful one. We're going to pick it up in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, verse 36 and following. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. Tabitha is the Hebrew, Dorcas is the Greek. Who always, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Come, please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. What a day to be visiting Joppa. Wow. Joppa was the main seaport city for the land of Judea. It was in Joppa where the prized timber arrived, which was used for the construction of the temple. It was in Joppa, where Jonah bought a ticket to go in the opposite direction from Nineveh, where God was calling him to go and preach. And it is here in Joppa, where Peter does something incredible, and the news of which spreads to all folks around the area, and many came to know Jesus Christ as a result. When When we encounter this inspiring lady, Tabitha, And her wonderful story, she provides for us in her life some marvelous examples of what it means to be a good neighbor. So if you'll jump in with me for just a few minutes, we're going to take a look at some of those really positive things about be helpful. So if you want to be helpful this morning, start this way, serve with a positive spirit. Okay, we got to serve with, now I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but I really like being around people who have a positive outlook on life. People who are more optimistic than they are pessimistic. You know the people I'm talking about. People that see the glass is half full as opposed to not seeing the glass at all. I'm talking about the people that, uh, that lift your spirits, not knock the props out from under you. Now, it may be true that a pessimist will be right in the long run, but the optimist has a much better time during the trip, if you understand what I mean. And and do you realize, do you realize that if it wasn't for the optimist, the pessimist would never know how happy he wasn't? (laughs) Here's my favorite definition of an optimist. An optimist is the human personification of spring. That fits Tabitha well. I can only conjecture, folks, but I believe Tabitha had a positive spirit. And I also believe it began in the way she was raised. You see, when you understand the meaning of her name and when you see the way she lived and how people loved her and what grief there was in her death, I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that this lady was a positive lady who brought a positive attitude and encouragement with her wherever she went. First of all, her name Tabitha shares a common Hebrew heritage with the name of a Judean princess, the mother of King Joash. Her name literally means gazelle, an animal viewed by the Hebrews as an image of loveliness. Now we don't know what Tabitha looked like, but her character was certainly beautiful. In a day when the meaning of names had more power and importance then than it does now, her parents chose for her a name that exuded everything that was positive. It was a great choice to give this child they must have seen in her something either that or they were just positive parents and wanted to give her the best head start they could by naming her something beautiful now not every not every name in scripture has a beautiful meaning not not every lady's name in scripture has a beautiful meaning Uh, like for instance leah that means wild cow mara means bitter and huldah Hulda means weasel. (laughs) Not sure how many dates she had in high school with a name like that. I would also venture to suggest that Tabitha's generosity grew out of her home life. Kids usually grow up to, well, act and be what they've seen in their parents. So parents, soon-to-be parents and grandparents, we're responsible for creating a positive environment for our families. No parent is perfect but some are maybe better at encouraging than others. On the good days, it won't matter as much whether an encourager. But on the tough days, and kids have tough days. On the tough days, if you come alongside with a bit of encouragement, it'll, it'll mean so much. Winston Churchill wrote, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. You see, it is the job of every parent and grandparent To help their child or grandchild see the opportunity in the difficulty, because that will help them rise above the circumstances and be everything that God wants them to be. Discover their talents and abilities, help them, encourage them, lift them up, spur them on. I think Tabitha had awesome parents. From the beauty of her name to the grace of her actions, it is clear she had a good start. True servanthood begins with a positive spirit, and a positive spirit begins at home, and it, re- and it takes a positive spirit, I think, to be a good neighbor. So in light of our beautiful attitude, we need to ask ourselves the question, what would others say about us? Do you know? Uh, would, would, would others around us that know us best, would they say, oh, he's a positive person, or mm, he's, kind of, he's kind of negative, he's kind of pessimistic? Uh, are, are, are we the kind of people that would exude encouragement? Or, or would others see us being stingy as encouragers? Are we? Are we the personification of spring? Or are we more like old man winter? Where do you fit? Because you see, if you want to be a good neighbor, I think it starts there. Okay, here's the second thing. Serve with whatever gifts you have. Now, let's talk about gifts for just a minute. Let's define what we mean by gifts. A gift comes as an undeserved and an unmerited benefit. So your gifts and your talents come from God. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I marvel at what some of you do. Your gifts and talents and abilities and all the things, I just stand back and I marvel. I think I could never do that. I I could never be that way. And I realized that God gifted us all with different kinds of talents to do different kinds of work to honor and glorify him. Again, as parents and grandparents, we are to help our children discover where their talents and abilities lie. And then help them develop and hone their skills so they'll be prepared to serve God in the years ahead. That's a huge responsibility of parenting. That's really what Proverbs 22.6 means when it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. It means understand how your child is. Look inside their heart and their mind. See what their personality is like. See what the bent is of their life. And then help shape them so that they will grow as the way they're supposed to grow. It's about learning who your child is. And folks, our gifts and our talents are not for our glory or selfish promotion. They are gifts which help us perform specific tasks, functions or roles to advance the spread of the gospel and to glorify God they are gifts to be used to help us be good neighbors you see I think there are two problems when we face our gifts one of those is regret and the other is conceit both of which stem from a poor attitude about our gifts the first problem is when we erroneously conclude that we don't have any gifts I have no talents. I have nothing that I can offer God. Oh, please. Everybody, I believe, has some kind of a gift or ability. Everybody, God has seen to it, has something to bring to the kingdom. So if you tell me, well, I can't do anything because I don't have any gifts, I'm going to look you straight in the eye and say, stop using that as an excuse because that's all that is. Start being honest and looking inside of you because God has gifted you. Now, worse yet is when you say, I don't like my gifts. I wish I was like so-and-so. I wish I was like him. I wish I was like her. I wish God had given me those gifts instead of the gifts that he has bestowed upon me. Now, do you realize what you're doing when you do that? It's kind of a slap in the face of God. It's kind of saying, God, you really don't know what you're doing in my life. I mean, I should have been like him or her. No, God has designed us and given us a special talent and ability. In 1 Chronicles 4, there is a list of men. And then there is an explanation of who these men are in verse 23. And this is the way verse 23 reads. These were the potters, the inhabitants of Nedeum and Gederah, And they lived there with the king. For his work. Now that's one of those verses that you can just gloss right over. Not even paying attention to it. But there's something profound there in my mind. Potters were pretty low on the socioeconomic scale. But the king needed what they could create. And notice where they lived. They lived with the king. And while their hands worked in something as menial as clay. Their job was their creativity in the vessels that were used by the king. I mean, you may look at your life and you may say, well, my gifts and talents are pretty menial. Well, but the king has given you those talents to use for him. The potters lived with the king. That's pretty rarefied air in my book. And here's the great news. The king of kings lives in us. So whatever gifts and talents and abilities he has given to you, be proud of them develop them, use them, and honor him with them. And and please, please folks, understand the difference between a gift and a fault. Don't excuse your faults as part of your talents. Uh, Don't say something like this. I know I'm stubborn and pig-headed and hard to get along with, but hey, those are my gifts. (laughs) No, those are not your gifts. Those are your faults. Faults we want to overcome. Gifts we want to overflow. So accept who you are and how God has gifted you and use those gifts for his glory. Now the second attitude of the issue is with conceit. It's when we view ourselves as being the gift that we get into problems. You know, the gift to all humankind. We are not a gift. God gives us the gift, but we're not the gift. And the gifts are not for our own personal edification. God never gave us talents and abilities for bragging rights. Uh, Remember what I've said in the past. I mean, from a pure scientific standpoint of view, 75% of a human body is nothing but fat and water. When I remember that three-fourths of me is nothing but fat and water, it brings me back down to where I need to be. You know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of a humbling thought, uh, that that there's only one-fourth of me that really has much value to it whatsoever. And yet God saw value in us and gave us gifts to use for him. And so we have the responsibility to develop what God has entrusted to us. In the same way that you cannot sit down at the piano and play a concerto of Mozart without hours and hours and hours of practice and skill development, and the same way you cannot put a golf ball on a tee and take your very first swing ever with a golf club and hit a hole in one, so you cannot expect that somehow magically you can just, well, be a blessing to others. you got to work at it. You got to develop those gifts you got to develop those talents and you say well i really don't know what they are well talk to people that love you people that love you should be honest with you ask them what do you see in me what do you think are my abilities talents gifts from god if you don't do that at least stop and think about what makes you tick where are your passions what really grabs your interest because you see I'm pretty convinced that God gives us gifts and talents that that reflect our passion and our interest and the things that we love to do I I, I don't think they I don't think they're at counter purposes you know I, it, it's like when somebody says I love to teach children I just don't like to be around kids that's nonsensical And as a matter of fact, I've sometimes run on to people who say, well, I know that class needs a teacher. I guess I'll teach even though I don't really enjoy children. My words to that person are, please don't. (laughs) Because because the kids will know that you're not comfortable with them. And and you're probably not going to do a good job with that because if that's not an area of passion for you, that's probably not where your talents lie. Look at Tabitha. Widows in that day were often among the poorest. Unless they had an extended family to care for them, They had to fend for themselves. Tabith herself may have been a widow of some means. It would certainly appear that way because she was giving back to the other widows. She was a seamstress of great skill. And we know that for certain, she did invest her time, energy, and resources in helping others who were less fortunate than her. So use what you have to challenge and change the lives of others around you. Hers was a gift with needle and thread. She taught about the love of God and what it means to be a good neighbor with her hands. Now, would you please remember this, that the skill of your hands, the labor of your hands may be your best expression of service to God. There are a lot of other ways to use your brain. I get it. But don't discount the work of your hands because that may be the way you communicate best the love of God. True acts of goodness grow out of one's relationship with Jesus. The phrase of, that describes Tabitha, says, who was always doing good. It doesn't say who was occasionally doing something nice. It doesn't say she did one good thing in her life. She was always doing good. You know, she didn't make just one robe, give it out and say, I'm done. I've done my part. She was continually sewing things to share with those in need. This wasn't about losing garments when the people were so tearful. It was about losing a friendship. It was about losing a relationship. Tabitha was somebody that everybody loved because of who she was. She was a good neighbor, always doing good. Doing good deeds should not be a one-time activity, and neither should it be empty of a relational aspect. Look at the example that Tabitha listed. Make sure your deeds of goodness do not come as a surprise to people around you. What you don't want to hear when you've done something nice is somebody to say, wow, boy, I'm shocked. I would never expected something like this from you. That's not a good sign. All right. What you want to hear when you've done something nice is somebody to say, thank you. I'm not surprised. This is just the kind of person you are. I've come to expect nothing less. That's what you would say about Tabitha. Would people say that about you? Here's the last thing, real quickly. Serve while you can. There seems to be no warning regarding Tabitha's death. It appears that illness that she had was brief it does not appear that it was age related it just seems like she got sick and she died the widow still still seem to be in a state of shock by the time Peter arrives there from Lydda so here's the lesson you don't know how much time you have so don't put off doing the right thing do today what you know is the right thing to do because you may not have tomorrow there's no perfect moment you're waiting for the right moment, the perfect moment, stop waiting. It just won't happen. You know, when we, I think back to the obituary uh, about Kathleen Demlo that we talked about very early in the service. She lived to be 80 years old and there is no indication that she did anything to mend broken relationships or seek forgiveness for the pain she'd created. 80 years, eight decades, nearly a century. And nothing. Maybe she was one of those people that said, well, I'll get around to that. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do some fence mending someday. I'm telling you, there is no day like today. Don't put off till tomorrow what God has placed on your heart today to do. And consider this thought, just because you're doing the Lord's work, you're serving him with all your heart, you're known as a good person, does not mean that you're going to live a long time in this world. There is no rhyme or reason to the passages of life. There are sometimes nasty people that live to be real old and sometimes good people that die young. There are times when nasty people die young and good people live to be old. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You can't count on, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to live a long time. It doesn't work that way. What you do know is that you have this moment. And when things seem the bleakest in Joppa, Peter arrives and God does the incredible. You know, Peter has been in a situation like this before. When he was with Jesus, Uh, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, his daughter died. They went up into the upper room and Jesus cleared the room. Peter clears the room. Jesus prayed. Peter prays. And then Jesus says, Talitha kum. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Here's the cool thing. In this passage, there's only one letter difference in the Hebrew between Talitha, little girl, and Tabitha. So here's Peter doing the same thing. Tabitha, arise. And she gets up and he restores her to the family. Wow, what a a wonderful thing Peter did. And you say, boy tabitha was really she was really blessed how what a wonderful thing peter did for tabitha are you serious where was tabitha at this moment when you die where do you go you know if you're a christian the bible says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the lord so do you really think tabitha was excited about leaving her new home to come back here into this body as a widow and to sow This was not for Tabitha. You need to understand that. This is not for Tabitha that Peter does this miracle. It is for those who live in the area and most importantly for the unbelievers in the area. Because by doing this, God demonstrates his power over everything else in this world. And the Bible says, and many believed as a result. Isn't that awesome? Tabitha made one more sacrifice. All right, Lord, I'll I'll be back one of these days to come back to serve, to be a good neighbor, and most of all, to be a witness that the power of God is unlimited. Our nation's Civil War was a horrific period of history, but there are glimpses in this awful period of four years. There's, there are glimpses of heroic acts. During the Battle of Franklin, Tennessee, comes the story of 30-year-old Sergeant Major Robert Bringhurst who fought with the Confederate 49th Tennessee Regiment. He'd been wounded in a previous battle and was on crutches as a result of it. So not able to fight, wasn't able to carry a weapon, wasn't able to carry a sword even. But he makes his way to the front lines of the battle and stands there. And uh, General William Quarles sends him back to the back lines three times to get away from the front. And he keeps coming back to the front. Finally, General Quarles says, why are you here? Why do you keep coming back? He says, because I'll cheer on the boys, sir. I can cheer on the boys. And so General Quarles finally relents and Robert Bringhurst stands there through the whole battle cheering on the boys in battle to stay true to their calling. He was wounded seven times in that battle. Died shortly thereafter. But left a legacy of sacrifice. Sacrificing his life, encouraging others to be faithful. I look at that and I think, that'd be... Pretty nice to have on your tombstone, wouldn't it? Lived his life, lived her life, encouraging others to be faithful. In 32 words, Kathleen's obituary told a tragic tale. Tabitha's obituary was less than half that. 13 words. A disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good and helping the poor. That's it. Tells you everything you need to know though, doesn't it? From these 13 simple words, we can readily conclude that her life and character was as beautiful as her name. These two women's lives are summed up in a handful of words, but they are polar opposites. You see, it's not, folks, it's not the amount of words used to describe your life that matters. It's the amount of life in those words that matter. How do you want to be remembered? What will you do with what God has given you that will make you a good neighbor? And you see, when you're a good neighbor, people will remember you fondly, no matter how many words are in your obituary. Because it doesn't matter how many words are there. It only matters how you reflect the King, how you are helpful serving others in the name of Jesus Christ.